0: Your discretion is a light. Gospel of Mark, book 3, verses 28 through 29. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. These are sentiments echoed throughout the Old Testament Gospels of Mark and Luke and into the New Testament Gospels of John and Hebrews. And it carries over into derivative religions, such as Islam. It's the idea that blasphemy of the Holy Ghost will forever condemn one's soul to hell. The ever-merciful fucking Lord will forgive you Murder, he will forgive you for child molestation, genocide, and he really, really likes slavery, with specific instructions on how one might keep slaves in a godly manner, as it is written in Abrahamic texts. But don't you dare question his presence within your soul, or else you're going to hell, bitch. I am the Lord, thy God, your fear, it is my love. Fuck God, and fuck the Holy Spirit. It's nonsense. And so is the following episode of Cassidy is Alive. What you're going to hear today is pure fiction, much like the Holy Bible or the Quran. This is how man killed God, and the birth of atheism— Straight from the Encyclopedia of Cassidy. For your own good, don't take it seriously. And if you're offended by any of it, well, that's pretty much the point. This is satire. It's provocative by design. Enjoy the show, and I'll see you guys in hell. This is Cassidy, and you've joined me for Cassidy is Live, episode 33. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. So says Frederick Nietzsche, a spaghetti salesman from Germany. And we'll talk all about the death of God, an epic battle of 1237 that took place on Jupiter in due time. To kick things off there, let's talk about my week.
1: All of you listen up. It was one week ago. 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 All of you listen up. It was one week ago. One week ago. One week ago.
0: One week ago. Thank you, Tony. This week we've got a few things to discuss. First off, I'm fine. A-okay. Genuinely, I feel a lot better than I did last week. They say that you can't choose family, but you sure as hell can choose who from that family has influence in your life. I'm not letting a shitty absentee father bring me down. Believe me, it hurts. It really fucking hurts. Though what hurts more is letting yourself be constantly disappointed by somebody who just doesn't give a shit. I have my pillars of support, and I don't need this fucking guy in my life. He's so full of shits, and his problems are always so much worse than mine and everybody else's, and it's just like, fuck off and get over yourself. I'm done. This is what we call personal growth. Personal growth, not personal gross. Oh my god, personal growth. That's what we call it. I choose to immerse my soul in love. I stole that from Radiohead. Radiohead probably done more for me in my adult life than my father has. So, Tom York, I suppose you're my new dad. (laughs) Next up, how everything came up Millhouse this week. Despite a statewide lockdown, my appointment with gender specialists was confirmed for Tuesday. And I was going to say, being medical reasons, I was allowed to travel into Melbourne for it. But it's actually being moved to a phone appointment, so whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. But just to avoid some confusion... Because we do, uh, I do, sorry, have a lot of international, maybe not a lot, but I do have some international viewers slash listeners, I live just outside of Melbourne's metropolis. Where I live technically isn't Melbourne, um, it's classed as its own city, and at least until January 1st, when this city will be reclassified as part of Melbourne's metropolis, will be part of of Greater Melbourne. Right now, we're on what's called the rural-urban fringe. It's not quite rural, but it's not urban. It's a fringe. The outskirts. I love it. I love the outskirts. And I hate the city. I fucking hate Melbourne. I don't want to be in the city, but starting January 1st, I'm technically going to be part of Greater Melbourne, and that's just great. But we'll cross that bridge (laughs) whenever we come to it. The point is, I got my appointment with a gender specialist, things are moving ahead, and things are going to be better. As of the time of recording, it's still one day away, so surely an update is going to follow next week. Awesome news. Like, actual awesome fucking news, particularly for me as a Nintendo fangirl, another one of my all-time favorites has come to the Nintendo Switch fucking Quake, the greatest first-person shooter ever made, and I will not be told otherwise. Like, Half-Life is good, Half-Life 2 is better, Doom is great, but fuck you, Quake is perfect. Bethesda stealth-dropped Quake on the eShop over the weekends, and I immediately spent $15 worth of reward points to buy it, leaving me with 42 cents worth of reward points. A lot of shit accumulated over the years, owning the Nintendo Switch. I usually save these reward points for DLCs, but I made an exception here, because I'm a broke-ass bitch, and I mean, come on, it's Quake. Right? I love Quake. So I completed all three of the difficulty levels in the campaign in just one day, because of course I did, I like I like this quake, it's kind of a soft remaster. It's graphically very much the same, but there's more going on. Ambient inclusion, you have way better shadows, anti-aliasing, rock fucking solid 60 frames a second, and you can activate motion blur. I don't know why, but I love motion blur. I love the motion blur is specifically with the camera. I don't know what it is. I love when the camera has that motion blur. When, like, objects in-game have the motion blur, it kind of pisses me off. I've noticed that video games are sort of going in that direction where the camera doesn't have motion blur, but real life does- well, not real life, sorry, the action does, where in real life, you have motion blur when you move your face, right? Things in the distance will blur as you move your head. close to you won't. So in the pursuit to be realistic, video games are sort of going the opposite direction. This port of Quake, which as I understand is the modern version of Quake, motion blur, perfect, it works out fucking great. I got in some really awesome multiplayer, didn't win because I'm way better with Quake when it comes to, you know, mouse and keyboard. Honestly, I'm a little better at Quake when it comes to the Nintendo 64 controller, because I spent way too much time playing Quake 64. But nonetheless, this is an excellent port of a classic video game. Perhaps it's a little overpriced. Like I said, $15. Perhaps it's a little much to be asking for. But I am also about to double dip and buy the physical version from Limited Run. So, (laughs) yuppa. I love Quake. That's all I can say. And now I can play an excellent version of it on the go. Assumedly, I was going to play Quake on my way to my appointment tomorrow, but since it's a phone appointment, I can't. I'm gonna make a point. Next time I can leave my house and ride a train somewhere, I'm gonna play Quake just to prove that I can. I did it with Skyrim. I did it with The Witcher 3 just to just, you know, as like a proof of concept, I'm going to do it with Quake. And fuck yes, good times, good times, and what a time to be alive. They're speaking of that, speaking of great times to be alive, AEW Rampage, week two. Oh my God, let's just roll the clip. Seven and a half years later, almost 3,000 days later, like, it was approaching, CM Punk is back. I am fucking elated. I mentioned in the previous episode on pro wrestlers that I like, of course, not the previous episode, but a previous episode, that I love CM Punk. CM Punk drew me back to WWE in 2011, when I was never really a really huge fan of WWE, I hadn't watched it in a long time. Not even Brian Danielson could draw me back. It was CM Punk. CM Punk, with this one historic promo, drew me back. I've been a long-time fan. I liked CM Punk before he ever went to WWE. Punk vs. Joe 2, my favorite match Ever, for years and years and years. It isn't anymore, but it's still top five. I love CM Punk. And out he came, in his home city of Chicago, to a thunderous, I mean thunderous reaction. It was out of this fucking world. We're talking like, I was drawing comparisons to the Rock and Roll Express in the Houston Coliseum. It was fucking magical. Like, holy shit, I played that clip. I haven't chosen which clip I'm going to play yet, but doubtless, you heard that crowd. Things like that don't happen every day. This was a historic, special moment in pro wrestling. I'm never gonna forget it. I cried. <laughs> I actually cried. I cried throughout the remainder of the show. I re-watched it a bunch of times. I'm, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, because... I've missed this guy. Sure, he went to do UFC and kind of failed, but I don't care. I've missed this guy in pro wrestling. CM Punk is one of my favorite wrestlers ever, and he's back. And I couldn't be happier. He called out Darby Allin for a match on pay-per-view at All Out, and oh my fucking god, this is the match I want to see more than any other. A lot of people want to see Punk and Omega. I would like to see Punk and Omega, but Punk versus Darby, that's it. That that is the match to do. I am ready for it. I am so pumped. I am so fucking hyped. Fuck yes. This is also Sam Punk's Return. It is a legitimate game changer. We don't have the overnight rate of the overnight. <laughs> there are no overnight ratings if it airs on Friday, <laughs> but we don't have the ratings yet. I'm expecting them to be surprisingly high. Like, I'm expecting these to be some of the best ratings that AEW have ever done. I think their peak was 1.4 million on their very first week of Dynamite. I wouldn't be surprised if this, 10pm Friday, is up there. We really gotta look at that first 20 minutes. Because the first 20 minutes of the hour-long episode of Rampage, that was a CM Punk segment. If the ratings fall off a fucking cliff after that, well, that's par for the course. I think, really, we should be focusing on those first 20 minutes. It is, yes, important who stuck around to watch the rest of the show. But I think the major conversation here is CM Punk. Because it is, in fact, a major conversation. This went mainstream. Like, this went Fucking mainstream, right? CM Punk was among the top trends in the world. I'm recording this on Monday. He debuted on what was Saturday for me. He's still among the top trends in the world. This is huge. I didn't give it the credit. I did not give it the credit until I had people messaging me, talking to me. People who haven't cared about professional wrestling in years. Messaging me, asking me about CM Punk people who shouldn't know that AEW even exists, mentioning All Elite Wrestling by name. This is a huge fucking deal. Like I said, this is a game changer. But that's not it. I should shut my mouth right now, but there are more game-changing announcements following this. We've entered the final countdown, baby. <laughs> I feel the wind rotunda. (laughs) Sorry, the wind rotates. Let's just get ready. (laughs) Things are about to pick up. Business is about to pick the fuck up, and you better get ready for it. Game changer number one. More to follow. Shh. But the last bit for the week. Lord released the album of the year on Friday, Solar Power. I don't know how this bitch does it, but every fucking record, every record she's put out, and she's put out three albums, they have perfectly described where I'm at in my life at that point in time. So her first album, Pure Heroin, it was solemn, it was withdrawn, it was really holding back. Described where I was in 2013. In 2017, four years later, she releases albums about every four years, it seems. Melodrama in 2017, it was kind of recuperating from loss. She'd just broken up with a long-term boyfriend, her first ever and only ever boyfriend. <laughs> Back from her high school days, they'd just broken up, and she was clearly trying to find herself through her art. Described where I was at that point in my life. I don't know if I was trying to find myself specifically through art, But I was definitely doing a lot of fucking soul-searching in 2017, recuperating from my own loss. And now in 2021, she releases a positive, kind of hopeful album. Something where she's clearly happier as a person, she's clearly looking forward to the future, and she's very sardonic. A lot of the album comes off as, like, her celebratory album of life. But there's a lot of sarcasm. A lot of sarcasm throughout. And it perfectly describes where Cassidy is in 2021. I don't know how she keeps doing it, but she does. And I'm so thankful for it. I fucking love Lord. I love Lord. That's all I can say. It's a special album to me. But the critics... Jesus fucking Christ. Come on. Majority, seriously, are just complaints that it sounds tonally different to 2017's melodrama. They're critiquing the artist instead of critiquing critiquing the art. For instance, imagine being a writer for The Rolling Stone, calling Solar Power an excellent LP, but giving it a two and a half star review. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? That brings me to the advent of a brand new segment Things That Are Pissing Me Off.
1: Things that Are Pissing Me
0: Off. The thing that's pissing me off this week. Music critics. Now, obviously not all of them, with my kindest regards to Anthony Fantano and his melon head. These major publications, okay? These major music publications that seemingly work in unison to review a record in a particular universal way. It is very suspect to me that so many mainstream publications all commended Billie Eilish as a songwriter, despite the fact that she does not write any of her music. She's literally not a songwriter. That's a mistake when it comes from one journal. It's deliberate when it comes from several journals. I'm not stupid. (laughs) So let's have a look at three albums, three of my favorite albums from the last three years to get a clearer picture of what I'm talking about. 2019. Tool releases Fear Inoculum after 13 years of damn near silence it was undoubtedly so a fucking tool album it was inert right I- inertia just the same thing but after 13 years what we wanted as tool fans was just another tool album it couldn't take too many risks it had to be a very very Tool album by and large, that was the major critical response. It was far too similar to everything that Tool had ever done before. I would disagree. I think it's very similar to the, the, most, the two most recent Tool albums preceding this. But nonetheless, it was similar. I thought that was a good thing. I thought that's all they really could do. Because if they had really something very, very different after 13 years wouldn't have went over well. But the critical response? This is too similar. The following year, 2020, Deftones dropped the incredible album, OMS. It was an awesome LP. It's a further progression of the group, where they're incorporating more elements of shoegaze, math, and dream pop into their distinct flavor of alternative heavy metal, a process that realistically started with White Pony, But you can see it really, really coming to fruition in 2012 with Koino Yokan. From then, they've just built on top of that. And OMS was... I mean, it was just a further evolution of that. But the major criticism... It's not different enough. Critics panned Deftones for not taking enough of the risk. And now in 2021... Lloyd's Solar Power. Well, cry me a fucking river. This is too different. You can't remain inert. You can't evolve. And you can't pull a 180. Maybe, maybe, Kendrick Lamar should produce a psychedelic folk album. Maybe that's it. A full 360. Completing the revolution. But, you know. You absolutely know the critics would pan that for being... Far too different, right? If Lord doing a 180 is too different, then surely the complete revolution would be even worse. When was the last time, let me ask you, that Beyoncé Knowles took a risk? Her music has remained consistently derivative of the R&B gods for her entire career. There's very little originality to it, and there never has been. That isn't to call Beyoncé Knowles a horrible artist, I don't think she is. I think when it comes to top 40 R&B music or pop, she's really up there as one of the genuinely good artists, but it's still derivative. There's very little originality in anything that Beyonce has ever done. Yet in this echo chamber, everything that Beyonce shits onto a plate and force feeds the mainstream listener is subject to universal acclaim. Look, I'm sorry, Maynard, but it's only good when the Queen does it. You can't be inert. You and Tool, you can't be inert. Only Beyonce can. Fuck mainstream critics. They are so full of shit, and they piss me off. With that out of the way, let's summon our inner heretic and celebrate the death of God. Transition. Song of the week time before... For that though, there's no ad break this week, it's just a song, and it's totally unrelated from the topic this week. This is a punk rock classic and a staple of the 1990s Riot Girl movement. From the 93 LP entitled Pussy Whipped, this is the album version of Bikini Kill's most well known track, Rebel Girl. This is one of my favorite songs. Back shortly, my friend. Welcome to the true, unabridged history of atheism. As told by Cassidy, a Buddhist. This is the story of how God died. Our tale begins in 2946 BCE. In a part of the world now known as Ghana, West Africa. Here, there lived a man named Thag of the River. While everybody lived in small communes amongst the trees or the caves, Thag lived, as his name might suggest, on the river. Literally, he built a bridge over the river and Thag lived atop that bridge. He was the first human to charge the public a fee to cross a bridge. And in time, Thag would offer discounts in the form of memberships. Instead of paying 10 berries to cross, you could instead pay 50 berries up front to be granted 7 return trips over the bridge at any point in time. This new capitalist venture would anger the then-socialist guard, who raised an army of the dead to destroy Thag's bridge. Though undeterred, Thag of the River began work on a new bridge, a better bridge, ...built specifically to withstand the attacks of zombies. However, God's army of the dead had either killed or turned everybody in the area... ...leaving Thag with no customers. But Thag of the River, you see, he was a very clever man. He rebranded as Thag of the Dead, which endeared him to the local zombie population... And by 2938 BCE, Thag's new bridge had become a booming industry. Like so many zombies were crossing the bridge daily, the Thag had to hire some of the more cognitively intelligent zombies to act as security guards. He also installed security cameras, which (laughs) incidentally, I'm sorry, which incidentally is from where the English city of Cambridge takes its name. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Now, Now, God was a little preoccupied at the time. He was going through a divorce, just a lot on his plate, so he didn't notice for a while. But when he did, God was... With a mighty grunt, he destroyed the bridge, the zombies, and thag with a blast of electricity utilizing the mysterious powers of the Goro Goro no Mi. While many of God's angels supported the decision to kill Fag, his zombie brethren, and the bridge, somebody intimately close to God saw this act as morally reprehensible. His name was Jesus. (laughs) And for almost 3,000 years, he quietly built a rebellion with intent to overthrow his father and put an end to his tyrannical rule. However, things did not go smoothly for Jesus. In the year 1 BCE, God got drunk in the earth town of Nazareth and impregnated a woman by the name of Mary. Being that God had no other child, Jesus was reincarnated as a human baby nine months later, Born on December 25th, just one week before the beginning of the common era. Baby Jesus was gifted three presents by four wise men. The first gave him myrrh, which Mary shrugged at. The second presented the child with gold in an attempt to flaunt his wealth before the other wise men. The third gave Jesus a copy of the Mary Shelley novel, Frankenstein. And the fourth, often forgotten wise man, who was actually a female Velociraptor, killed the other three wise men, along with Mary, and kidnapped baby Jesus to raise him as her own. So, as you see, Jesus was not literally a raptor. That's why it's never stated in the Bible that he was not a raptor, because he wasn't literally a raptor. He was just (laughs) raised as one. (laughs) He wasn't a raptor, he was just raised as one. Sorry. Sorry. I need to take this more seriously. This is serious business. This is crucial because God, you see, he had no power over dinosaurs, nor could he detect them. Jesus teaches us that to be a dinosaur comes from the heart. So it makes sense that God could not detect Jesus either. Jesus' raptor mother died in an unrelated boating accident in the year 12 leaving an adolescent Jesus to wander the desert alone for the next 21 years. While he did some soul-searching, he eventually assembled a pirate crew consisting of a merry band of 12 social outcasts. There was Matthew, the first mate, John, the navigator, Peter, the cook, Bartholomew, the DJ, Thomas, nicknamed Tommy Boy, Arthur Fonzarelli, Andy Dick, James the Great, James the Good, James the Adequate, Judas Iscariot, and Gazoo, a small green alien who only Jesus could see. Together, they travelled the Red Sea in search of adventure, along the way clashing with the Roman Empire in long, drawn-out shonen battle sequences. Though Jesus found it difficult to deny his raptor instincts and he would often grow territorial and attack his crewmates resulting in the death of Annie Dick and Tommy Boy one tragic evening in the ma- <laughs> in March of 33 grown fed up with Jesus's bullshit Judas betrayed Jesus and sold him out to the Romans Jesus was crucified and he died shortly thereafter. In his dying breath, he proclaimed, I am Jesus, my hands hurt, and I am thirsty. Also, God is a dickhead. Hashtag justice for thag, hashtag yeet. Moved by this statement, and riddled with guilt, Judas concocted a plan to redeem himself. Disguised as Jesus, Judas would invent the art of trolling, convincing the primitive desert folk that he was Jesus, risen from the grave. This attracted the attention of noted conspiracy theorist, former governor of Minnesota, and retired pro-wrestling legend, Jesse the Body Ventura, who published the book, Jesus, Did He Real? The Romans, however, banned this book immediately. No copies are known to have survived, But this event did spark a social movement and those upset by the death of Jesus and subsequent burial of his legacy formed a secret society. They were known as the Universal Defenders and this would serve as the basis for the atheist movement in the centuries that followed. The first known usage of the term atheist wouldn't come until much later in the year 775 a mongol conqueror and card carrying member of the universal defenders guild named takab igshits <laughs> sorry a mongol conqueror and card carrying member of the universal defenders guild named takab bigshits he had t- <laughs> he had just taken <laughs> what would eventually be called thailand he was asked asked what would be next to Conga by an unknown subordinate. And in reply, he said that they would next invade Greece. Though Tucker Big Shit had a mouthful of pork at the time, and the words Athens next were misheard as atheist. Moments later, Tucker Big Shit, he choked and died leaving his Mongol army with the new word atheist on which to ruminate. At that exact moment, aliens abducted the Mongol army and took them to the nearby gas giant Jupiter, where they were subject to a painful concert by the band Train. One by one, the 10,000-man Mongol army died of boredom until only one remained. This specimen was cryogenically frozen and sent back to Earth with a grand purpose to serve that would not be realized for over a millennium yet. His name was Christopher Hitchens, and he, he will come- we will come back to him soon. The aliens of Jupiter, they were actually fallen angels, former members of Jesus' would-be rebellion, and they supported Thag's bridge. They were preparing for war with the Martians, who were supporters of Jacob's ladder. (laughs) This war would climax in the Earth year of 1237 on Jupiter, with both sides wiping each other out completely. The angels and the demons were now out of the question, and it was in the hands of man. So the conflict, it had ended, but the ideological war, it had only just began. Over the next 500 years, numerous atheists showed up, both within the Universal Defenders' Guild and outside of it. Few were pivotal to this history of, and for the sake of brevity, I'm glossing over the majority of them. There are two figures from this period to focus on. The 14th century French philosopher Jacques Baguette, famous for his theory on God being mad at women due to his infamous divorce. The second is a British playwright. Her name was Guinevere Smithy. She was a 17th century woman that had a brief love affair with God. Smithy and God, they went out on a few dates, but it was never serious, and Smithy stopped answering God's calls after the fifth date. She writes in her 1824 memoirs of the brief relationship, and I quote, Oh, fuck. That God thing. Jesus. That whole ordeal took Fifteen years off my life easily. I'm not one to typically divulge too much when it comes to dating, but God, fuck, he was something else. I have boundaries, and God did not respect them. He kept fucking touching me, stroking my hair, grabbing my hands. I'd ask him to stop, and he would just keep going. Five minutes later, There he was, touching me again, after stopping for maybe 30 seconds. Then I find out that he has a child, but he doesn't pay child support. God was a mistake, and I am still recovering from it years later. End quote. In response to this, God has described Guinevere Smithy as, quote, a bitch. Further denigrating her character, her appearance and her sexual decency in statements that I am not comfortable repeating. Though the real big dog of the atheist movement rose to prominence in the late 19th century. He was a German spaghetti salesman named Friedrich Nietzsche, and his legacy today can be seen in countless European-themed restaurants and delicious pasta dishes. Though, as a vegetarian, I'm not much of a fan I'll take some ramen noodles instead. Nietzsche, he was also known as an atheist philosopher and perhaps the first nihilist. He is a celebrated figure amongst the intellectually arrogant, the pompous, and people who like quoting his work without context so as to appear smarter than they actually are. Nietzsche is famous for his claim that God is dead. Now, in reality, he was referring to the Birth of Enlightenment, and how associated philosophies had usurped the human need for that kind of superstition. Though his work, it has been co-opted by both sides of the arguments, and used as either evidence of the evils of of the godless, or as proof that God has literally died. Nonetheless, Nietzsche, he completely dismantled the Universal Defenders Guild through his philosophy, revolutionalizing the world for enemies of God. No longer was their society a secret one. Atheists were now open and they were going public. In response to this, God gave <laughs> he gave spaghetti sentience. And so the flying spaghetti monster was born and she ruled Europe with an iron fist for 30 days and 30 nights, smiting the enemies of God and greatly reducing their numbers. Famously, the Flying Spaghetti Monster sunk the former Universal Defenders Guild home base in the city of Atlantis. It would be Nietzsche who calmed this ferocious beast. Nietzsche was a master of pasta. He thwarted a disaster that would have been vaster had he not acted faster. And with a blaster, he cast her, that monstrous pasta, into the thereafter, much to the laughter of the city of Lancaster. Frederick Nietzsche died a hero in 1900-something. Now, of course, this was during a period of time when the numbers 4 through 7 were actually outlawed. Thus, the exact year of his death cannot be known. So, here's Suniji. You will be remembered. Hey, 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 hey. Ooh. Ooh. We now jump forward to discuss the decisive battle, the death of God. As previously mentioned, Christopher Hitchens was held in cryogenic stasis for a number of centuries, while the atheist forces prepared for this final conflict. It was as the 21st century approached, God came to Earth taking the form of the Michelin Tire Man, laying waste to the continent of South America while briefly stopping in Monterrey, Mexico to watch some Lucha Libre. One luchador in particular caught God's eye. His name was El Hicho. And with a flying head scissors, El Hicho transitioned into the Navarro death roll and he defeated Blue Demon Jr. by submission to capture the Mexican national heavyweight title. El Hicho, he then removed his mask. And shockingly, El Hicho's true identity was Christopher Hitchens. And with a mighty voice, he challenged God in the form of the Michelin Tire Man to a best-of-five game of Quake. Long story short, Hitchens won in three consecutive rounds, which would wound God's ego unlike anything that had come before. God pressed a gun to his own head, ready to end it all in the face of public embarrassment. But Hitch he drop-kicked the revolver from God's hand, famously remarking, "'Fuck you, God, you don't get the privilege to die by your own almighty hands.'" In reply, God pointed out that guns were made by humans, thus this death would be kind of poetic. And while, yes, God did have a point there, Christopher Hitchens refused to hear it. He stared God directly in the eye with the spirit of man's suffering behind that glare. And that's when God noticed something that shook him to the core. He had seen these eyes before, a long, long time ago. Almost 5,000 years ago, in fact. And it filled God with an existential dread. Christopher Hitchens, he had the eyes of an old enemy. He had the eyes... ...of Thag of the River. With a laugh... ...Hitchin said to God... ...this is for my fucking bridge. And he proceeded... ...to literally eat God. And with that... ...Humanity was finally free. The tyrant had fallen... ...he had been eaten... ...and Thag finally... ...had his justice. Prior to his death... ...in 2011... Christopher Fag 2 Hitchens gave birth to a litter of kittens, the sole survivor of which was Thomas James Kirk, also known as the Amazing Atheist. Nowadays, he spends his time shoving bananas up his ass and debating early 2000s film with his friend Paul Parkey for a few thousand views on YouTube. Thus ends the history of atheism and the story of how man killed. God. Though in reply to this tale, H. Bomagai produced a video entitled God, A Measured Response, in which he spoke in circles for about half an hour before entering a bizarre 15-minute rant about obscure video games and obscure manga. The end. We'll be back in a moment.
1: Don't touch that remote because you're watching the Macho Shopping Network. So sit tight, and look for all the cool stuff you can get, and I'll be right back after this commercial message. Did you get the message? Good, because Slim Jim always means excitement. And now Slim Jim brings you more excitement than ever, yeah. Because I'm here to introduce... Drum roll, please. The Slim Jim Get the Gear catalog! The more Slim Jims you step into, the more points you get. Points you can use to bring home some really extreme merchandise. Oh yeah, from clothes, to skateboards, to collector cars, to uh, Mercedes. Wow! Here's Candy in a Slim Jim Extreme t-shirt. Now you see Candy modeling Slim Jim Extreme boxers. How about this Slim Jim Extreme skateboard? Want to see what these boards can do? Watch Daryl! Beef! Beef! And yeah. spice! Snap into a Slim Jim! Ooh! That was extreme! Just like the Slim Jim Extreme skateboard. It's all in the Slim Jim Gear catalog. You'll find posters collect your cars cool caps and more pick up a catalog wherever you find slim jim or call the macho shopping network at 888 4 slim jim slim gear is also available on the internet www.slimjim.com got it so pick up the phone and call now or look for a slim jim gear displays next time you grab a spicy beefy slim jim thanks for tuning into the macho shopping network now Back to our regular programming. Yeah. These numbers are still far too high, uh, and the data will tell us. The data, the data will tell us. The experts will tell us. Uh, by staying apart, we keep each other safe. By staying at home, we keep each other safe. These numbers are still far too high.
0: Before closing out for the week, here is our weekly COVID updates. As of Monday, 23rd of August, 2021, there are... 494 active cases in the state of Victoria. 50.9% of Victorians over the age of 16 have had at least one vaccination shot, while 299 have had both. As it stands, 52.3% of the overall population of Australia have had at least one shot administered making this our first week since introducing this segment that over half of the country has had at least one vaccination shot. Good on you guys. The Prime Minister is still useless, though he is not missing in action. He has yet to condemn those protesting lockdown, and we, as a nation, should not turn a blind eye to that. Mr. Morrison, either condemn these people or I will be forced to assume that you support them. If you want to be a leader, then fucking lead. In the greater nation, New South Wales are reporting 11,973 active cases of COVID, with a daily increase of almost 1,000. Good job, Gladys. That, that is a real fucking gold standard that you have there. Queensland are reporting 38 active cases. ACT are reporting 121. Remember two weeks ago when they had zero? Fuck off, Gladys. You're, you're destroying this fucking country. While WA, South Australia and the Northern Territory have numbers in single digits, there are zero active cases in Tasmania. Wouldn't you love to be Tasmanian right now? No. Actually, still not. <laughs> still not. <laughs> I am still ineligible for any vaccination shots. And with each passing week, my frustration grows. I understand I'm low priority, but as I said last week, this is the second most densely populated state-slash-territory in the world- in the world- in the country. We should be prioritized ahead of other states- but ACT in Victoria, for some unknown reason, are actually getting less than anywhere else. It's very frustrating. Like, idiots, literal fucking idiots are running this fucking country. It's an absolute disgrace. It's an absolute fucking disgrace. Mr. Morrison, this is a pandemic. This is a fucking pandemic. Start acting like it. And start taking this seriously. Three people died overnight in New South Wales. And assumedly, after recording, more will die overnight. That blood is on your fucking hands. It's on your hands and the hands of your ilk, such as Gladys. I can't pronounce her last name. I don't care to learn it because I fucking hate that woman. As opposed to nothing, I would suggest that you do, I don't know, literally fucking anything. People are now dying because of you. Do something. You're the leader of this fucking country. Alright. I'm sorry about that explosion, but... Idiots are running this fucking country. They're not taking it fucking seriously, and... It's upsetting. It it is very upsetting. Alright. Let's go to the end screen. Okay, guys. That's the show for the week. A bit different this episode. I wanted to try and you know, just something new as opposed to that same old formats. But honestly, I mean I just couldn't be bothered pulling research this week. So instead, I decided to give you a glimpse, a glance, a glimpse. I can't believe I said glimps. It's not even a fucking word. <laughs> I decided to give you a glimpse of my overactive imagination. It was honestly kind of stream of consciousness. I guess, kind of, I wrote all of that nonsense in just one day, and it probably could have been far better and far deeper had I had the motivation to do more. But nonetheless, I do hope that you enjoyed the story for what it was. You see, the issue with satire, and particularly absurdism, I've found, is that's what's funny to me may not hit with everybody else. For all I know, This was the single greatest miss of my life. (laughs) So, please tell me what you thought of that. And of course, thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I really, really do. Next week, though. Next week, it's just a matter of opinion. Seven days from now, Cassidy's Alive gets polarizing. We are going to discuss some pieces of media, art, ideas what have you, that are generally thought of as divisive. Find out whether your bitch loves it or hates it next week. Until then, be happy. Be COVID safe. Get vaccinated if you can, and hold your elected officials responsible if you cannot. I love you. Bye. (laughs)
1: We are shit So we're told The people are the pit players As you've ever seen We write talk No one likes Except for people who get us Struck us. That's not enough Yes, in the run two Now right. This piece of shit I rip off every shit out there
0: I'll man- <coughs> What the fuck? I'm going to leave that in as a blue. No retreat. No surrender.
1: That is Spartan law. I need you guys to protect me, please. Please. And by Spartan law, we will stand and fight. Please protect me. I do not understand i do not stand under you are the most powerful everybody cluster cluster please now they're about to take me because your courage overcomes your fear they're going to try and take me look there's a huge ladder now now please please cluster around me you do not allow people to tell you what to do please protect me please protect me from them please protect me we can hold our heads high and we can feel the solemn lion's pride beating in our breast. Guys, please protect me. And we have the strength to endure. Right. Do not let them take me. We are in the middle of a pandemic, it's true. No. Say what you will, Say what you must. Don't just